0: What is? What is? What is? is, is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. (laughs) This is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church,
1: this never resonated with me.
0: (laughs) This is Transformed. And now, your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford.
1: Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford. And as you have been noting, hopefully, we've been talking about what it means to be a man and not a woman. In these past six episodes, I have walked through biblical characteristics of manhood. You see, sometimes we live in a culture that hasn't paused to sit down and articulate what are the character traits of a man, what makes a man a man according to God's word. So hearken back. Ooh, hearken. Don't ask me how to spell hearken, by the way. So hearken back to our first episode as I was talking about the three categories Overall, what defines us as men is that God has created us as men and our bodies inform manhood. Our biology, and that's more than reproductive organs, it's even more than height and the shape of your shoulders, it's even things like DNA and chromosomes. Being a male is distinctive in many ways in our biology. Number two, which is where we've spent these past 6 episodes number 2 is working through the character traits of men and things that men must possess and without them they're unmanly according to God's word i hope in some way you would remember these i'll do my best to teach these and other facets on transformed but write them down spell them out courageous number 1 pure number 2 respectful to women number 3 proactive Gentle and hardworking. These are the things of what God calls men to be. So, the last aspect of all of this is to talk through cultural expectations and how those inform masculinity. You see, I want to do my best to practically address the concerns within a North American culture. And I recognize there may be international listeners, but I think the majority of us are from North America. And if we're not from here, we're currently living in North America at this point. How do we interact with cultural expectations of manhood? And actually, sometimes those cultural expectations seem to change. You see, in North American culture, there are expectations that correspond to what it means to be a man. Let's let's try to tease out a couple of those and think through cultural expectations. On one side, we have cultural expectations that men are going to be these strong, muscular, Dwayne the Rock Johnson neck tattoos, and we're men that don't really cry just a whole lot. We're warriors, and we love to shoot guns. On one side of things, there's actually cultural expectations that men can be machoized. Macho men in that way. I I want to give place to that. There may be a rightful place for the athlete who works out a lot, or there may be a rightful place to the guy that likes to go shoot guns. Uh, But fundamentally, do we have to do those things to be a man? I'll answer that question here in a second. the The cultural expectations are: what does North American culture expect a man to be? Now that might even be regional to a certain degree. There are certain expectations in the deep south that may not be the same if you're living in New England. Or if you're from the Midwest, cultural expectations in the Midwest are going to be different from the Pacific Northwest. And what you'll find is things like dress, things like talk, things like hair and tattoos and even jewelry, all of those are culturally informed expectations of what it means to be a man. Let me give you an example for dress. So I'm currently recording in Southern California where I live. And in Southern California, the expectations of dress out here are actually very different from other parts of the States. They're often more casual. It's very common to wear a flat sole shoe, some pants, and then a button-up shirt. But if I were to wear that in the Midwest or in the South going to work, I might actually be a little bit underdressed. Growing up in the South... It was very common to wear a button-up shirt with some dress slacks and dress shoes. But now let's take both of those and imagine you and I were to travel to Qatar or United Arab Emirates. If we were to go live in Egypt as a man, it may be culturally normal for us to wear a dress. It's so hot that the breathability of that type of dress or that type of robe that would actually facilitate in us just functioning in that environment. But if I were to reverse that and say, okay, I'm not in Egypt anymore. I'm now coming back to Southern California and I now have this white robe. It might miscommunicate things about who I am because culturally in Southern California, it is not normal for a man to wear a dress. I'm sure there are pockets of Southern California where it might be more normal than others, but it is not normal. And in Southern California, the way that a man dresses is different than the way that a man would dress in Egypt. Yet if I were to get on a plane immediately and fly to Egypt, I should feel very comfortable putting on some type of robe that would facilitate an air so that I could not get overheated. I wouldn't want to wear jeans while in Egypt. So what do you think about that? How do you think about that? Well, how you think about that is to say there are cultural expressions of masculinity that are good, and there are cultural expressions of masculinity that are bad. But nevertheless, there are cultural expressions. When I lived in Asia, it was very unique because in Korea, the Korean men did not epitomize this muscular, bearded, tattooed up man. In fact, the Korean man was often very clean-shaven, often very short. He was very lean, not trying to get super muscular, And it was a different expression of what a man was meant to be. So in Korea, what was expected of a man was not this bearded, tattooed, truck-driving guy. It was often this lean, clean-shaven guy. That's what it meant to be a man. So if I were to teleport to Korea today, I could go and live by the cultural expressions of Korea, so long as those cultural expressions are not harmful. Now, in, in all reality, within North America, we have legitimate expectations for what it means to be a man. So if it's it's easy if I kind of talk you through some of these when we're talking about young men. What is it that you would tell a young boy not to do? Because in our culture, that typically corresponds to what a lady would do. Well, let's go shopping, for instance. There are certain regions, if you're going to your local store to look for clothes, there are certain departments that are explicitly designed for women. They're explicitly designed for young girls. Now, in all reality, is there something wrong with a young boy wearing a pink shirt with a bow in his hair? Well, biblically, I think you're going to have a hard case for saying why that is wrong. But culturally in North America, young men don't wear pink shirts with bows in their hair. That's typically corresponding to what a young girl would wear. So as you're continuing to shop, you recognize there's a young lady department or a female and an adult woman department. So we're going to go shop over in the boys and the men's section. Or you go back to the toys and you even see that there are typically aisles of toys, the doll's. The teddy bears, basically all the cute and kind stuff is for the ladies. And then as soon as you go to the boy aisles, it's wrestling figures, action figures, cars, guns. Well, in a way, it is totally appropriate to tell your seven-year-old, hey, buddy, come over here. Let's look for some toys for you over here. This is the girl section. Now, what makes it a girl section? Well, technically what makes it a girl section is that in our culture, those things correspond to what a girl would typically play with. So is it inherently sinful for a young boy to play with a purple teddy bear? No, it's not inherently sinful, but it may be misconstrued in our culture where typically girls play with a purple teddy bear in our culture. So what am I driving at here? Our culture, and every culture, but in particular North American culture, has expectations of masculinity. And those expectations are not always bad. They can be bad, but they're not always bad. Dress, mannerisms, a certain level of athleticism, those are not always bad expectations of masculinity, but they can become bad. So consider this, and then we'll take a break. If we reject cultural notions of masculinity, what can actually take place is we can misrepresent masculinity in the way that God has intended it. Meaning while I'm living in North America, it is appropriate for me to take on the cultural norms of men in North America. But if I were to go to Egypt tomorrow, it would also be appropriate for me to live by the cultural norms of Egypt So when we come back, I want to help you identify as the listener what cultural norms are acceptable and what cultural norms do we need to reject. So let's take a break and we'll be right back.
0: All right. Well, as we take this break, just a moment away from Dr. Gifford, you get to hear from me now. And I've got a lot of good stuff to share with you that you want to hear about. All right. As Dr. Gifford wraps up his series on biblical masculinity this week and talking about cultural expectations, I want to bring your attention to some resources that we have available at transformed.org. And if you've not been to transformed.org to see all of the resources in our store, you're missing out. There's a treasure trove of resources available for you. One of them is Lou Priolo's masterpiece. Yep, it's a masterpiece. It's called Self-Image: How to Overcome Inferiority Judgments. <laughs> Let me tell you, profound is not even the word. This just this, this quick snippet from Priolo. He says, "True humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less." That's a perspective that could change your entire walk with the Lord. It it could change how you deal with your self-image in the face of how culture has an expectation of how we're supposed to view ourselves. Pick the book up if you have any struggles at all or know anyone who has a struggle with self-image. It's available at transformed.org. And while you're there, would you consider supporting us, becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? You can find out all of the information while you're there at transformed.org. But just know that your generous donations help continue producing this podcast, the Transform TV series, and all of our other resources. You help enable Dr. Gifford to reach more people and tackle their questions about faith, emotions, spiritual growth. If you become a gospel partner, you're not just reaching into your pocket and throwing money at us. No, you're joining us. You're becoming a partner in our mission so together we can help transform the lives of people all over the world. And another way that we can also partner together is if you've ever thought about possibly establishing a biblical counseling ministry in your church. Maybe you've thought about starting the process and the journey to becoming a biblical counselor yourself. We need biblical counselors probably now more than ever. And if you thought about starting that journey, I want to recommend to your resource. We also have available at transform.org. It's Mark Shaw's The Heart of Addiction. It's a good starting spot for anybody that's interested in becoming a biblical counselor. And in the book, Mark writes, the roots of all addictions is sin. But the triumph over addiction is found in the transformation of the heart by God's grace. This particular resource not only provides a clear understanding of addiction from a biblical standpoint, but it also guides you on how to assist others in their road to recovery. So pick it up. It's The Heart of Addiction by Mark Shaw, and it's available at transformed.org. Now lastly, if you have any questions or issues that you've been struggling with, we want to hear from you. That's right. You can reach Dr. Gifford by emailing him at greg at transformed.org and you might very well hear him answer and tackle your email on a future episode of Transformed. And I've got it on a good authority that he's actually going to be doing that very soon like next week possibly so you better get those questions to him soon greg at transformed.org all right well thank you for listening to me now the man you really want to hear from dr greg gifford let's continue listening to him shine a light on biblical masculinity and cultural expectations Welcome back to transform the Bible would tell us that OCD is not a
1: disorder it is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology
0: and now your host Dr. Greg Gifford
1: okay welcome back thanks for joining us again we've been talking about cultural expressions of masculinity And I've done my best to solidify this third category, and the third category is that in our culture, there are expressions of masculinity, and this would also be true for femininity, but there are cultural expressions of masculinity that we have to identify and understand and then begin to evaluate, is that expression biblical, and is that expression something that I should seek to fulfill? Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Sometimes in our culture, men are painted as the incompetent one in a relationship. Oh, man, these irk me. Uh, This is the Homer Simpson dad type. You guys know what I'm talking about? Homer is just kind of this ignoramus. He is just totally susceptible to the family. His son is functionally smarter than him. However old Bart is, I have no idea. He's been the same age for 30 years and the Homer Simpson dad. There are other cartoons and movies where they paint the dad as just kind of being this ignoramus. Like dad doesn't know he's the goofball. Mom's the one that functionally runs the show. There are other times where men are expected to be stone cold. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? You're acting like a girl. Uh, well, That is an expectation of manhood that sometimes our culture can bring with it. Hey, like, suck it up. You need to be a man right now. Stop crying. Um, Okay, I'm not necessarily saying that's true, but that can be a cultural expectation. Sometimes a cultural expectation can be that a man is somewhat gruff is the best way to describe it. In our episode, Talking Through Gentleness... This gruffness of, you know, like he's hardened as steel, he works with his hands, he just got done taming a wild horse, and now he's here and he's gonna grill some fantastic steak for us. And those expectations of a man are that he's just kind of this gruff, rough, tough, can work with his hands type of individual. The Marlboro man, if you remember that guy from the 90s and 2000s, the Marlboro man. Okay, that's a cultural expectation. In these cultural expectations, how do we know which ones are good, and we should actually try to abide by, and how do we know which ones are bad, and we should jettison them? Here is the fundamental way that we know. Does the cultural expectation of masculinity contradict what the Bible says, number one? Does it contradict what the Bible says, number one? Or does it contradict what your biology says, number two? Number one, what does the Bible say? And does that cultural expectation contradict what the Bible says? Or number two, does it contradict what your biology says? Let me see if I can give you an example. There is this like suck it up mentality. And so men are expected to be tough to a certain degree. And if they're overly emotional, meaning they cry a lot, if they're crying all the time, then there's kind of like, hey, what's the deal with you, man? Like you you need to man up to a certain degree. That expectation of a man can actually be something that we reject because God has made men to be emotional. And in fact, I think if you begin to say real men don't cry, then you start to create real problems in John 11 when Lazarus is dead and Jesus is moved by this, moved to the point of tears, and yet knowing that he's preparing to resurrect Lazarus. When you look at Jesus mourning over Jerusalem, morning of their spiritual state how can you say that men are not emotional when jesus himself is emotional when we look at emotions for a man they are biblical god has created us god has created us as emotive beings so it would be inappropriate for us to say hey real men don't cry like you need to suck it up you need to be tough just like bite that bottom lip dude keep driving on that is not an appropriate expectation Of masculinity. Men, some of us need to be more okay with crying than we are. Some of us need to see a beautiful thing unfold and have tears well up in our eyes and say, wow, that's amazing. What a grace of the Lord to get to see that. There are times when it's going to be a life that's changed. The Lord has saved someone and brought them to himself. You're going to meet your grandchild or your child for the first time. You're going to see a beautiful sunset. And in each of those, to be stirred to emotions is right and good. And if the culture says, hey, men need to just be tough and kind of drive on, then we reject what the culture says because the culture is wrong on that one. And how do we know the culture is wrong? Because the Bible has said this. So when I understand cultural expectations in that way, I can then begin to sift through each one and say, well, hey, I I don't need to actually abide by that one because the Bible does not communicate that or the Bible does communicate that. Let me give you another one. This one is hopefully freeing to some of you men, some of you men that don't have neck tattoos and 35 inch biceps the body shape that sometimes can be expected of this action-packed Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dwayne Johnson type of individual, sometimes we paint manhood that is the equivalent of someone who has a lot of muscles. So you have a lot of muscles, you must be a man's man. Bodybuilder is not the same thing as being a man's man. In fact, the cultural expectation that men need to be muscular is actually a cultural expectation that we should reject. There is nothing in the Bible that suggests that men should be muscular. Ooh, Some of us are like, oh, thank God. Let me get off this treadmill. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not here to legitimize being unhealthy, but I am here to say that one of the cultural notions, if we're not careful, is we look at these men who are fit and we're like, oh yeah, man's man, total man's man. And the skinny guy over there, oh, no way, girly man. There was even the Saturday Night Live episode where these guys would dress up as Hans and Franz and they would pretend to be men's men, you know, and they would say, oh, girly man, girly man. But the reality is we reject that cultural notion because the Bible doesn't say that manhood means that you should change your body shape to be more muscular. In fact, you may be a muscular male and be acting very unmanly. So how do I know I should reject that cultural expectation? Because that's not how God has created all of our bodies. Do you see? Not all of our bodies are designed to have as broad a shoulders as they could be. Not all of our bodies are designed to lift heavy weights. So if I begin to think that's what it means to be a man, I'm actually absorbing the cultural expectations and I should reject those. Honestly, I should reject those and I should protect that from becoming what we expect of men. You could give other examples of these. There are certain hobbies in our culture that are typically what corresponds to men, but they don't always have to be. An easy example of that is cooking. Some men love to cook and other men hate to cook. In our culture, it is not expressly manly to be a chef or expressly feminine to be a chef. So we would be open to saying, look, we're going to evaluate each of the culture's expectations, but yet there still may be certain hobbies that I don't practice simply because that's what a lady would do. Can I give you an example of one? Typically, you're not going to find me or any of my friends at a yoga class. And you're like, wait, Dr. Gifford, you hate yoga. I'm not even here to talk about the whole spiritual side of things, and is it demonic in some way? I'm just here to say, like, there's typically a group of women in that class, and it seems inappropriate for me to go into that class with this group of women to practice yoga. So in, in that hobby, I might say, you know what, that's typically what a lady would do, so I'm not going to do it simply for the sake of making sure I don't miscommunicate who I am or my intentions in that class. There are certain things that we simply don't do because that's typically what a lady does in our culture. So we could get into a theological debate about is it wrong to go to a yoga class or not, but the reality is that there are certain things that typically that's what a lady does, and so that's why we don't do it. Men, that means that there are cultural expectations that we should live by. That's why some of the sexual revolution stuff is so wacky, because we're flattening masculinity to a certain degree, meaning that men are dressing like women, men are dressing in effeminate ways, men are dressing in ways, putting on makeup, carrying themselves in ways that typically correspond to what a woman does. And in that way, that man has confused. That he should actually live by the gender God has given him and live out the cultural norms of what it means to be a man in North American culture. So by him dressing that way, doing his hair that way, wearing that type of makeup and walking that way, he's actually not abiding by cultural standards that are good and right. So instead of getting in a deep theological debate about whether he should wear a dress and whether that's acceptable or sinful, we would say, hey, look, there are cultural norms that as long as they don't go against the Bible and your biology, you should abide by them. And oh, by the way, if you went to Egypt tomorrow, the same thing would apply there. So men, as you're thinking this through, I would encourage you to evaluate the individual expectation and then say, does that contradict the Bible, number one, and does that contradict my biology, number two? And if it does, then I am not going to abide by that. I will actually reject it. I will help protect so that that's not the expectation of manhood. I'm not going to teach my brothers, my sons, my peer group. I'm not going to inculcate that in anyone because I know that that should actually be rejected. However, if it does not contradict, then I am going to do my best to live by that cultural expression so as to communicate clarity about masculinity. It would be faulty equally faulty for me to say, you know what? I reject every notion of this culture and I'm going to do what I want to do. That's equally wrong and it's confusing. So live by the cultural expressions if they do not contradict the Bible and your biology. Let me pray for us that God would give us wisdom on how to do this and honor him in the process. Lord, I do come to you and I pray for myself and the men that are listening that you would give us wisdom some of us gravitate to being super macho and we have to be able to reject some of those expectations and cultivate sensitivity in ways that we haven't done. There are others here that should consider whether or not their actions are more feminine and they should actually change and reject certain things that they're doing just for the sake of communicating things clearly about who they are and honoring you well. Lord, we are, uh, We are in great need of your wisdom and in a culture that wants to flatten masculinity, help us as men to have clarity so that you are honored in this, that women are blessed in this, and that we do a lot of good. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.